invite you to turn in your Bible tonight to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Jonah, chapter 2, as you're doing that, just want to uh, welcome those who are visiting with us tonight. We're thankful that you're here. And uh, I told some people that are coming in, uh, all this white is just to make spring look all that much glorious, more glorious. So the Lord is preparing you for great joy this week as all this snow is going to melt away. And um, you're going to delight in green as you've never delighted in green maybe before. So uh, let's keep God's good purposes in mind as we, uh, as we notice um, what he clearly has sovereignly willed for us in the weather. Uh, Jonah chapter 2, uh, remember the storyline, Jonah uh, is the prophet who ran away from God and uh, found that that uh, was a, a, a poorly thought out plan as the Lord quickly found him and uh, hurled a sea at him and uh, the pagan sailors come to faith and Jonah um, is thrown overboard. And so we're going to pick it up in Jonah chapter 1 actually, verse 17, and read through the entirety of chapter 2. Let's give uh, the word our attention. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. <clears throat> Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh, Lord God, we believe that you've given us this word by your Holy Spirit for our spiritual food and drink, and I pray that tonight we would find it to be so as we see your loving kindness and grace to sinners like Jonah and sinners like us. Lord, give us ears to hear uh, and hearts that uh, believe and rejoice in this great salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have come to a wonderful uh, story tonight. It's a, it's a repentance story. A uh, story of uh, someone who wandered away far from God and um, came to his senses. It's like the prodigal son story that Jesus told in the gospel. This is an Old Testament version of exactly that story. And uh, here in chapter 2, we find Jonah, the, uh, the runaway prophet, coming to his senses, finding himself uh, in the pig pen. He's going down into the depths, spiritual uh, disaster. And he's brought to his senses, he's restored by the grace of God to his spiritual status and calling as he once again embraces the salvation of the Lord. I love repentance stories because uh, they remind me of the, uh, just the faithfulness of God to seek his wandering sons. How many stories couldn't we share in this room tonight of God seeking us out when we were wandering away from him? Uh, when we just had committed ourselves to going in disobedience 
And yet God graciously intervened, intersected our life, and brought us back. It's a wonderful reminder of how ready God is to forgive. When God uh, reached out to you and brought you to your senses, uh, how many steps did he make you go through? How many hoops did you have to jump through uh, before God says, okay, I, will, I guess I'll forgive you now? None at all. All you needed to do was, was cry out for help and confess your sin and call on the name of the Lord. And it reminds us how kind God is when he pardons that Jonah here, this, this wicked, rebellious prophet, a flagrantly rebellious transgressor of God's clear command, is immediately restored. Uh, he's rescued from his devastating spiritual death and apathy. He's restored miraculously to life. And then he's immediately put back to work. We're not going to look at this tonight, but notice just in chapter 3 where we read verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I love that verse. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The word of the Lord comes to this wicked man because he's a forgiven man. And God still has a purpose for him. God still has a calling upon his life. It's a wonderful story of the grace of God. Well, the last time we were studying Jonah, the last time we saw Jonah, he was uh, midair being thrown overboard on his way to the depths of the Mediterranean Sea. This would be a good place if you were having a movie of, uh, of Jonah's life where you could just stop, uh, you know, um, halfway as he's flailing overboard and just about to hit the water, and you could pause the picture right there and say, how did he get here? What happened? What went wrong? This is not the normal career path for a prophet of God, right? When you're, when you're a sort of a career planner would sit down with you, as, a, as, a, as some of you do with other people, and sort of map out what the future looks like, this wasn't in, this wasn't in the map. So what happened? Jonah was a prophet of God. The Spirit of God was given to Jonah in a unique way. Jonah had a unique calling. Jonah had special privileges. He had most likely studied under the prophet Elisha. He has seen great things. How does he end getting thrown off a pagan ship by pagans who are coming to faith in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea? Well, the, the, the short answer, of course, is he flagrantly disobeyed God. That's the short answer. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'd like a ticket to Tarshish. He flat out said no. But how did he get there? How did he get there? How did Jonah, the prophet of God, get to a place where saying no flagrantly to God seemed like a reasonable, justifiable response to God's clear command. Because, you see, we don't, um, we don't get involved in flagrant acts of disobedience just um, by happenstance, by mistake. Flagrant external disobedience like this is almost always preceded by Many small internal acts of spiritual negligence and spiritual apathy. Jonah didn't just wake up that morning and said, I'm done with this business. I'm heading for Tarshish. It's not how it happens. Something was already wrong in Jonah's heart, in Jonah's life, when the call to Nineveh came. One of the commentators, Collins, says, Spiritual decline often happens so slowly you hardly notice. 
Worship becomes remote. Prayer becomes repetitive. The Lord's table becomes a habit. Hearing the word becomes routine. Your Christian life runs as if on autopilot. You're no longer engaged. Gradually and increasingly, a sense of unreality comes into your walk with the Lord. Cynicism, resentment, and unbelief grows in your soul like weeds in a garden, but it all happens so slowly, you hardly notice that you're sleepwalking your way through the Christian life. Maybe that describes you tonight. You just, truth be told, if we would just stop and lift the, lift the, the hood and look under the hood, uh, we'd, we'd see this thing is just on autopilot. You're just going through the motions. And you're here, but you're not engaged. And you'll go home with the same sort of cynical, maybe resentful, bitter, or just apathetic heart that you walked in with. It can happen to us, doesn't it? Well, that's where Jonah was until the Lord got his attention. We don't know exactly when Jonah woke up spiritually, whether it was just before he hit the water or uh, shortly thereafter, but it's clear that Jonah, in chapter 2, has finally come to a spiritual census. Praise God. And uh, he sings, uh, his response to that is a song. Chapter 2 is a song. It's a psalm. It's written in just poetic narrative, poetic style, just like we find in the the book of Psalms. And it is saturated with the book of Psalms. In fact, uh, Jonah makes uh, quotes from or alludes to at least 10 different psalms here in uh, in his prayer, in his song. So verse 2 is uh, is Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Verse 3 is taken from Psalm 88, verse 6, and Psalm 140, verse 7. Jonah's reciting the Psalter as he's sinking under the waves. That's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing to be able to do. Have you ever been just in a moment of, of sadness, despair, crisis of some sort, and the Lord brought his word to mind, a song to mind, a psalm? And uh, Jonah then, he sings this song, and it's a song of thanksgiving. It's not a lament. He's not, he's not complaining. It's not even a song of confession. It's not a song of petition. It's thanksgiving. And the, the, the thing I want to look at tonight is how does that happen? How does, how does Jonah go from angrily rebelling against God to singing a song of thanksgiving to the very same God while in the belly of the great fish? It's a wonderful story of waking up. And so let's start Jonah waking up again to the reality of God. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. That word then is pregnant with meaning because it's the first time we've seen Jonah pray. Uh, We've seen other people pray. We've seen Jonah being commanded to pray. The the captain of the ship says, arise, O sleeper, call out to your gods. Uh, We've seen the the sailors pray. Uh, They prayed to their gods as the storm was raging. They prayed to Jonah's God when the storm was calmed. There's been prayer, just not Jonah. He's the prayerless prophet. It's one of the surest signs of when we're um, wandering from the Lord, when we stop really praying. You might still do the perfunctory prayers. You know, you pray at the table. You maybe pray um, at different times Uh, just normal sort of habitual times during the day. But but have you stopped? Have you stopped just 
really talking to the Lord? Have you, have you stopped crying out to him? Have you stopped confessing your sin with tears and, and thanking him with deep gratitude for his kindness, laying your petitions before him with faith? Have you, have you stopped actually talking to God? Because, because if that's true, you've fallen spiritually asleep. You're, 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 in, a, you're in a dangerous place. And, and friends, we get to these places. I know we do. I know you do. We go through these times. But again, you see, God graciously, faithfully intercedes to wake us up. And God knows how to do it. Um, his ways are always effective. For Jonah, it took a storm and near drowning. But it worked. It always works um, in the providence of God. So then, we, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He's awake. Right? The sleeping man has finally woken up. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And the marvel of marvels is the Lord heard him. The Lord heard him. And that's, what, that's where the song of Thanksgiving begins. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You can imagine Jonah. Just I mean, uh, the, the Bible doesn't give us a, a lot of description here, but it's not hard to imagine. He's thrown overboard into this raging sea. He does not know how to swim. Israelites did not, uh, they did not like to go near the water. The ocean was a place of evil, so they're not really uh, water sports sort of people. Jonah, when he hits the water, maybe flails for a little bit, and then down he goes. And he can't breathe, and the waves are tumbling him, and he's sinking, and he, he talks about... He's, um, he's experiencing the this, this seaweed. He's going down to the gates of Sheol. The Hebrew sort of understood, the way they're thinking of the world was that the gates of Sheol, the, the place of the dead, is down at the root of the mountain, the bottom of the sea. And the bars are there. And, and once you enter into Sheol, the bars close over you and you can't get out. And that's where he's, that's where he's sinking. That's where he's going. And then suddenly... Something happens. A massive fish comes along. He's, he's near death, but now suddenly he's not drowning anymore. Suddenly he's being carried along. Suddenly he can breathe. Jonah realizes that he has been miraculously rescued. But he, he doesn't mention the fish. There's not a word about the fish in the song. Because you see, the fish isn't the great miracle. This is what people, you know, wonder about and scratch their chins. And oh, is it possible for a fish to swallow a man? And how would he stay alive in there? And and uh, and, and that's what they will wonder about. But that's not what Jonah's wondering about. That's not the grace. That's, I mean, that's not the miracle. The grace is the miracle. The grace is the miracle. He was this close to death. And God, the God he had offended, the God he'd sinned against, the God he'd said get lost to, that God has miraculously intervened and rescued him. This is it's not just a story, friends. This is the crisis of humanity. Whether we realize it or not, we, uh, in our natural native selves, are, we're sinking and drowning and dying. And every person who's born into this world is born descending to the gates of Sheol. This is the crisis of the world, that the soul that sins shall die and every man has sinned. Uh, one of the things, um, last year, Joanne and I were uh, in New York and we were at the 9-11 memorial. 
And you have recordings there and, and notes, last notes written to loved ones as people know that they're going to die. <clears throat> it's very, it's incredibly sobering. You have um, a people saying, I'm not, I'm not ready to die. You know, we, we can talk about death glibly, but I've, I've been with people who are dying and they're not ready to die and there's nothing glib about it. There's sheer terror in their eyes because they're sinking and they're drowning and they're going to face a God they're not ready to face. That's where Jonah is going. Imagine the euphoria when the fish come. This is no accident. He's not like, dodge it again. God rescued me. And he didn't, des- he didn't owe it to me, right? J- Jonah recognizes that, that he is sinking because of his sin and because of the just response of God. So verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me, and I said, I am, a dri- I am driven away from your sight. Now, if you know the story, you know that the sailors cast him into the sea. But that's not how Jonah sees it. God cast him into the sea, and God ordained the waves, and God ordained the billows to pass over him. Jonah is under God's judgment. He's being driven away from God's sight. And the God who is judging him rescued him. That's the miracle. That's the miracle. Jonah doesn't, he acknowledges that God is right in all of this. There's not a note of complaint He's not charging God with wrong. He's saying, in a sense, what David says in Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And yet, the God who had every right to judge him rescues him. And Jonah delights in it. He rejoices in it. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down into the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. Oh, Lord, my God. The God he had once worshipped in true faith, the God that he'd rebelled against, the God that he offended, that God had rescued him. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah has been woken up by the amazing grace of God. The God that he offended is the God who saves him. And, and, and how, did that, how did that waking up sort of happen? Well, it happens as, as Jonah comes to a renewed faith. I think we see that in, in verse 4. He says uh, in verse 4 that um, I am driven away from your sight yet. Notice how the gospel has this, this interjection, yet or but. All of sin and falls short of the glory of God, but God. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. I shall look again upon your holy temple. Jonah has a sense that there's a place he can go, a place he can look as he's sinking. This is very important to hear. Sometimes people 
think. I think there's, it's, it's, it's human nature and it's the devil speaking to us. Uh, when we think that maybe we've sinned too much, we've gone too far, we've, we've, we've messed up our life too greatly, we've offended God too much. It's very possible that we have not heard Jonah prayer, pray before because maybe Jonah thinks, what's the point of praying now? I, I said no to God. And the judgment of God is evident. He's angry. What's the point of prayer now? But then he remembers the temple. Though he's banished like Adam and Eve out of the garden and is experiencing the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and he knows it's right, it's not the end of the story. This is our message to a lost world, friends, that, that yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have. And yes, death is your rightful judgment. Hell is, is the just place for you to go. You've offended a holy Holy God, you deserve to die. And so do I. But God, who is rich in mercy, is willing to make us alive even when we were dead in sin. And Jonah, as, as he's sinking, I will look to your temple. It's a place to look. And God responded with mercy and grace. Collins again says this, when Jonah was in the water, he was sure he would die. When he was in the fish, he was sure he would live. The belly of the fish was not a place of trauma for Jonah. It was a place of deliverance. God, Jonah knew that God was saving him. I think that's exactly right. Jonah knew that God was saving him. The fish is the evidence of, of saving. Jonah knew that God had heard his prayer. Jonah, you see, is, is, his faith is, is being played out. This is what he'd been told as a child. This is what he'd been taught from the scripture. That if, because God had told Israel, he, if you sin, and you will sin, and you'll, you'll, you'll whore yourself with, other, um, with idols, the gods of other nations, and, and because I'm a covenant-keeping God, I will respond with punishment, with discipline. But if you look towards my temple and you call on my name, and you seek my face, then I will hear, and I will forgive your sin, and I will heal your land. That's the promise God made. And so Jonah remembers that promise. I will look to your holy temple. I will look because God has provided a place in this world where sin can be atoned, a place where sacrifices were made, blood was shed and poured out over the mercy seat where God dwelt so that, that, that there God could show grace and kindness and compassion to sinners. There God promises to forgive sin and promises to show grace to sinners. There's a, there's a way up that, that God has opened in this, in this wilderness of sin where a, a place where sinners can be reconciled to God. Wrath can be propitiated, turned aside. Sin can be expiated, uh, washed away. This is the gospel. Aren't you glad that this is the gospel? Aren't you glad this is true? For you, the sinner, and, and for me, 
And Jonah responds to this amazing good news with thanksgiving and consecrates himself again to the worship of God and the service of God. Uh, Notice verse uh, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You give yourself to idols, you're forsaking the hope you can have in the steadfast love of God. Confessing his own sin and and calling people to hope in the Lord. But I, now as a new man, as, as a saved, rescued man, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will pay. I'm going to serve the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, yes, it does. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And friends, when you have an experience of the grace of God, when, you, when the things that you've heard about in the Bible, when those things become real to you, and, you, can, and you, you sense the truth of your sin and the reality of God's displeasure with you. And you've got no place to go. You've got nothing to appeal to. And yet you call on the name of the Lord. You take what you learned in Scripture, you learned in church and in Sunday school and from your parents, and you take the word and you remind yourself, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it says. Everyone. Well, that that must include me. If I call on the name of the Lord, if I call on the name of Jesus, then I can be saved. And your faith becomes becomes real, becomes your experience, becomes life. Well, this story, friends, is a wonderful encouragement to us uh, sinners like Jonah who deserve the wrath of God. And yet we can turn and Discover that salvation belongs to the Lord, and it's an encouragement to us because, you see, Jesus Christ uses this story to remind us of who he is. Uh, This is, um, we've talked about Jonah representing Israel uh, in their rebellion and their sin, but but Jonah, unbeknownst to himself, I, I don't think Jonah recognized this, but Jonah represents Jesus. Uh, God rescued Jonah just in this way, 700 and some years before Jesus was born, But God rescues Jonah this way, three days in the belly of a fish, to point us to another man who was three days in the belly of the earth. And Jesus speaks of this. He says, a a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Matthew 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus and Jonah have a lot in common in a strange way, right? They are both prophets of God. Uh, They were both sent by God to preach to wicked, vile sinners and call them to repentance. One was thoroughly disobedient. You could not be more disobedient to the call than Jonah was. The other was absolutely obedient. You could not be more obedient to the call than Jesus was, being obedient even unto death. They both came under the just judgment of God. One bearing his own sin, the other bearing the sins of the world, for he had no sin and knew no sin. They were both thrown into the sea of wrath. They both sunk down to death but they were both brought back. Jonah vomited up on dry land. Jesus raised with a glorious body. And Jesus says, this is the sign 
that God has given to you. What does he want us to see? What does Jesus want us to see? Friends, Jesus wants us to see that in his suffering for our sin, in his victorious resurrection, he wants us to see the salvation of the Lord for ourselves and for the world in which we live. To see that salvation is of the Lord has a name, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel said. Jesus wants us to know that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. One of the just great texts in Romans chapter 4.25. He was delivered up for our, our trespasses, raised up for our justification. That in Jesus, you see, there is a place we can look, a place we can go. Jesus sunk down into the depths alone, cut off from God, banished from the sight of God. But Jesus, when he was raised up, led many, many sons to glory. He didn't come up alone. He raised you to new life when he came out of that tomb. And Jesus assures that all those who believe in him have passed from death to life. It's not a theory. It's not a story. It's not an idea. It's reality. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you confess your sin, if you acknowledge the crisis of your life is that you cannot save yourself, you have no hope except Jesus intervene and you believe he is willing and able and you call on his name, Jesus wants you to know that you've passed from death to everlasting life. I don't know your heart tonight, but God does. Maybe tonight you're grieving your sin. Maybe you've been going through the motions because you have given up a long time ago on actually having a vibrant experience of the grace of God that changes you and makes you a happy, devoted servant of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're going through the motions because that's all you know what to do. But friends, this is a, this is a real gospel for real sinners, people just like you. And maybe you're here um, just sensing you're far, far away from God. Jesus wants you to know that God has raised a place where you can look. Jonah looked to the temple where the sacrifices were made. Jesus says, look unto me. All the ends of the earth, look unto me. The sacrifice that was made. The blood of animals could never take away sin, but Jesus' blood actually can and actually does. And so Jesus calls you tonight. Look to me. Look unto me. And he's given us tonight a sign. His sign for those who profess faith. The Lord's table. A sign that reminds us of the grace that can save and does save even great sinners like us. A sign that points us to Jesus, our greater Jonah who went to death bearing our sins and suffered the wrath that we deserve so that he could give us as a free gift everlasting life. And so tonight as we come to the table, come confessing your sin, you're confessing your need, confessing that you are helpless and hopeless without Jesus. But come believing that in Christ, the crisis of your life is resolved. 
that in Jesus, the great crisis of your life, what will I do in the presence of a holy God with my sin? That crisis is resolved in the cross. And the justification, the righteousness of Jesus Christ freely given to your account is available as a free gift as we believe. And that enables us to stand, not just today, but forever, in the presence of our holy God. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, I thank you that the gospel is is not just a story. It is the invasion of a holy God into a wicked world in grace and love and justice in Jesus Christ, the Son. And God, I thank you that you invaded this world for us on our behalf. And I thank you, Lord, that it is your good pleasure that we would be believe and be saved, that we would be rescued. Father, some of us maybe tonight are we've given in to cynicism or apathy, despair. We go to church because we sense we should, but Lord, we've stopped believing and praying and and loving and rejoicing and resting a long time ago. And Lord, I pray that your grace, as it, as it wakened Jonah and filled him with joy, Lord, may it do the same in our heart. That we would be stunned all over again. That you rescued us when we were sinking to death and had no hope. And that you, Lord, though we have offended you, you gave your son to die in our place. And that the table tonight is your sign to us, Lord Jesus, of the truth of your sacrifice, the power of your salvation, and the faithfulness of God to all that you've promised us as we come in faith. So, Lord, may we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 3, just where Paul highlights the crisis of humanity in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's the crisis of the world. There's all sorts of things wrong with the world. But there's one crisis, one essential crisis. What will we do with our sin? And then Paul goes on, but now, but now. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ put forward as the propitiation. Think of this. God, the God whom we angered, the God who is full of wrath because of our sin, God turns that wrath on his son. 
And Jesus, bearing the wrath of God for your sin and my sin, turns the wrath away. It's propitiated. It's gone. And Jesus then justifies us. Justification, what a word, where God pronounces you to be innocent in his sight, robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is what God has done for the crisis of our soul. And tonight, Jesus invites us to come and believe. This evening, we want to welcome you to the table. This is the Lord's table. It's not a harvest table. It's Jesus. And he invites you to come. We ask that you, uh, according to scripture, that you've professed faith in Jesus. There's nothing mystical or magical about this. This is the gospel in visible form. And so we ask that you would have professed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ as you've joined the Church of Christ. If you have any questions about that, feel free to come and ask us. We want, though, uh, for those who, who, who come tonight, come as sinners. Come as Jonas, every one of us, left to ourselves, but who've been wonderfully rescued by the grace of God. Come believing all that God promises in Jesus for you, the sinner. Let's ask his blessing. Oh, God in heaven, I thank you for the gospel. On a normal Sunday night, Lord, you've spoken to us again about our sin and your your righteousness and your amazing grace to us in Jesus. And now, Lord Jesus, you serve us at your banquet table. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you invite us, sinners all, to come. I pray that we would tonight participate with gladness in our heart, confessing again, Lord, the crisis of our life and receiving you again as the great rescue, the salvation of the Lord. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread in the presence of his disciples. He broke it, he gave thanks, blessed it, said to them, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the bread is being distributed, I encourage you just to hold on to it that we can eat together and we're going to sing together just as I am.
What an amazing gospel. That the God we sinned against invites us to come and promises to give us forgiveness, justification, reconciliation with God, everlasting life. Jesus calls you now to eat, remember, and believe the objective, glorious reality of his crucified body to remove all the awful, objective reality of your sin and make you forever a child of God. Jesus also took the cup, blessed it, and said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. As the wine is being distributed, I just want to remind you that the grape juice is on the outside ring, and the, is that correct? Yes. Yes. And the wine's on the inside rings, and we're going to sing together, Jesus, Thou Joy of Loving Hearts.
Wonderful truth, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Drink, remember, believe the blood of Jesus Christ poured out to turn away the wrath of God, to wash you free, clean of all your sin, to remove all guilt and shame, to robe you in righteousness forever. Oh Lord, our God in heaven, Oh, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We're stunned that you would love us, that you would give your life for us, that you would promise us such amazing things. We thank you, Lord, for your table tonight and for your presence here. We thank you that you are a great Savior for great sinners. And that now, Lord, we are set free into this world to live following you to speak your truth, to rest in your gospel promises, to love even our enemies, to be changed people, changed from the inside out as your Holy Spirit continues the work that you've begun. But, oh God, it's all rooted in the gospel, and we thank you so much for the gospel tonight. Help us, Lord, to love you, our Lord, our Savior, to rejoice, to, to rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The deacons will now come and receive a benevolent offering as we show the love of Jesus Christ to those in need.
After the benediction, we'll sing together, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came as we close out our Sunday. Now receive the benediction, the blessing of the Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you, abide with you until he come again. Amen. Thank you.